The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. There's areas in the, in the northeastern area of the Middle East that could have changed the course of history had Paul had gone there. And there's so much more to be done. And we need this leader, Paul, in order to lead us. Now notice what it says here. It says, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. There's a problem here, isn't there? Because if they were genuinely led by the Holy Spirit to tell Paul, hey, don't go there, then you have one or two things. Either they missed the Spirit's leading or Paul was being disobedient to the Spirit of God. It's a problem. See, the solution here, I think, to this problem with them having the right knowledge but the wrong conclusion is they had rightly discerned that there was going to be a problem, but their conclusion was that because trouble waited Paul in Jerusalem, he shouldn't go. And because there was trouble there, then it must not be from the Holy Spirit of God. I find that same parallel sometimes in my life. And I'm sure you do, as when situations arise, potential problems, potential situations of suffering, that sometimes we discern that the will of God as being one that which should not lead us in a course of action that would cause trouble, trial, or difficulty. Well, there's trouble there. That must not be from God. There's trial there that must not be from God. There seems to be tribulation that may be there, so that must not be from God. And I would say that sometimes we make decisions based on knowledge, but we come to the wrong conclusion as to what the will of God is in our lives. Now, the second situation, as we read down here, Paul and others leave there. They've finished, and they go to travel to another area. And they come to this area in Jerusalem, and there they go to the evangelist house, Philip. You remember Philip, the evangelist, who had, who had evangelized who? The Ethiopian eunuch, right? And so here Philip is, and they're at Philip's house, and Luke tells us that Philip had four daughters that were unmarried, and they all prophesied. And in that same town, there was another prophet who we had seen before in Acts chapter 11 by the name of Agabus. And he comes there to Paul, and in verse 11, it tells us that he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we, meaning Luke and the other disciples, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Now, Abigus was a proven prophet. If you remember the account, he had prophesied in Acts chapter 11 that there was going to be a great famine in all the land, and it came to pass. He was recognized by the early church as one who had the gift of prophecy that God was using in that time. But just as it was entire, they concluded because there was trouble waiting Paul in Jerusalem, that he should not go to Jerusalem. Now put yourself in their situation. 
Here's a man that you love. Here's a man that you esteem. Here's a man that you know is an apostle of God. And you know that these situations are facing him in Jerusalem. Would you and I also not urge him to not go to Jerusalem? But you see, they had seen the knowledge that was there. Even the prophecy of what had awaited Paul. They knew that there had been other instances that Paul had to escape with his own life. And they knew that if Paul went to Jerusalem, there was going to be trouble. The right knowledge, but here we find the wrong conclusion. The third thing we want to look at here in this passage is this. Is that Paul had the same knowledge, but he had understood the will of God and came to the right conclusion. Paul understood and knew and believed that these things awaited him when he got to Jerusalem. Same information. But he had a different conclusion than what the other disciples. Same facts, same information. Then he says in verse 13, he says, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart, as they're urging him not to go to Jerusalem? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul had later stated in the book of Philippians that he would later write after these events when he was under house arrest in Philippians chapter 1 verse 21 he says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain and the question that comes to my mind as I read this and understand this story is how is it that Paul could face going to Jerusalem knowing that if he goes to Jerusalem he's going to be arrested Knowing that if he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be brought in a kangaroo court, really, and brought under trial. Knowing that if he goes to Jerusalem and he goes to trial, it probably is going to involve death, and it was most likely going to involve death on the cross. I don't know about you, but I think I would have gone the other direction other than Jerusalem. Amen? What is it that gives Paul if I can use the word poise, steadiness in this situation. Knowing that the course that God had led him to, knowing that it was God's will that he go to face, what is it that gave him the stability in the midst of that? What is it that gave him peace in the midst of knowing what he was about to endure? What is it that gave him the courage and the resolution to continue on and say, come hail from heaven, hail or high waters, I'm going to Jerusalem because I know this is God's will in my life. He had a choice, didn't he? He had a choice to continue in the path that he knew that was God's will or he had a choice to go the other direction and divert the inevitable consequences. It's if as Paul saying to them, listen, I must go. Don't you understand this, that I've got to go? And the way that I'm going, and I know that I'm going to face death, and I'm going to face the cross, isn't that the Master's way? (laughs) 
if he faced the cross, then why am I looking for another way of easy street to avoid the same thing that my master had to face? You see, it's a question that every disciple of Jesus has to answer at some point or another in their life. We, we talk about this very often, and there are thousands of books, I would imagine. Dr. Mapes, you may know how many books are written on the will of God. How is it that Paul knew emphatically that this was the will of God that he go? I don't think Paul was looking for or had a death wish, right? Nobody in their right mind has a death wish. I don't think he was looking to be a martyr of Jesus so that his name would be heralded in the books of history. I think there was something else that drove Paul to this that he concluded that he knew this was the will of God. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Romans, chapter 12. And I think the key to understanding the will of God, as Paul understood the will of God, is contained in these two verses that Paul pens to the Romans when he writes to them in chapter 12. He says this, beginning in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the perfect will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I believe the key to understanding the will of God here is not always something that we discover the will of God, but God discovers His will for us and we walk in it. And that is that we live a life that is fully surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus and a life of worship. Notice what he says in verse 1. He says, therefore you present your bodies. And when he says bodies, he means our whole being. Our physical body, our mind, our emotions, our will, all that we are, are to be giving, given over to Him as an act of worship, He says. Therefore, we can conclude that worship is not just contained in what we do here on Sunday morning in a corporate setting. But to live a life of worship as a disciple of Jesus says that every part of our being is daily surrendered to Him, and that is our reasonable act of worship. Do we realize that the worship that God wants is a surrendered life and heart to Him? I've always contended that the, the magnitude of our worship as we gather together as believers on Sunday morning to, to use that style of worship where we sing songs to Him, we read poems to Him, we read Scripture to Him, that it will only be as magnificent as the corporate body's life is day in and day out, Monday through Saturday, as we live our lives surrendered over to Him. Side note. So we have the idea that we want to come in and criticize John for his leading in worship. 
or if we have the idea that we want to say, well, the orchestra didn't quite do it that well, or the idea, I didn't like that song that they did, we're missing the boat. Can I get an amen to that? You see, worship is an expression of what happens in the lives of the believers Monday through Saturday, and when we get to corporate worship, it's a crescendo, because why? We've had fellowship with Him through the week. Now, I'll stop preaching for a moment, okay? You see, Paul understood that the way to understand and discern and be assured of the will of God is to live a life surrendered to Him on a very daily basis. And so that's why he could handle and understood. But there's some other reasons why Paul, I think, could handle and understand that this was the will of God in his life. Number one is this, is that Paul understood that Jesus never asked us to do something without promising His presence. Jesus will never ask you or I to do something for Him. He will never, as if we can really do something for God, right? He will never lead us that He has not gone before us and we can be assured that He is there present with us. He says in Philippians, as he's writing later, under house arrest, the consequences of what would happen in Jerusalem. He says this in verse 5 of chapter 4. He says, the Lord is at hand. Now remember, Paul has already gone through the discourse in Philippians that he really doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. He knows that his life could very soon come to an end. But he is assured, whether he lives or whether he dies, that the Lord is at hand. You see, God is always there. In whatever trial you or I may be facing, whatever suffering you and I may be going through or are going to go through, right? Two kind of folks, though, three kind, those who've suffered, those who are suffering, and those who will suffer, right? And regardless, God is always there with us. He's already walked through it before us. I'm familiar with the verse, and so are you, that because He left heaven, lived a life just as we lived, as the writer in Hebrews says, He is able to empathize with us because He is acquainted with our sorrows. Aren't you glad that He's not just a transcendent God that just started everything in motion and took His hands off and said, let come, whatever come may come. But He is right there with us in the midst. I'm reminded of what the psalmist wrote. David wrote in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For why? Thou art with me. Psalm 139, as David writes, he He's contemplating the the magnificent nature of God's omniscience, His all-knowing and His all-present being. And he says, where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? Rhetorical questions. Obvious conclusion is nowhere. 
Remember, Jesus said, I am with you even unto the ends of the ages. You see, Paul understood that whatever situation he may find himself in, even facing death, that God is with him. Second reason I think that Paul could walk on this journey is that every stage of the Christian life, what we are asked to do, what is it that we're asked to do in every stage of the Christian life? This is something I don't like. You may not like it either. But it comes from our Lord and Master, and, and, and what we're asked to do every single day, as Jesus said, take up your cross, what? How often? Daily. And follow me. You see, there's an interesting point in this that sometimes we forget. You see, to bear the cross is to deny ourselves. Paul had an understanding and an idea that God's purposes were far greater than his purposes. In other words, Paul understood that this book is not about Paul. It's about who? It's about him. And if the Master, Jesus, had gone that way, And surely he could go that too. The third thing is this. Because the experience of suffering fulfills the law of the harvest. Remember the words of Jesus where he said, Unless a grain of wheat fall to the ground and what? Die. It's a principle of the harvest as it relates to the kingdom of God. You can't have new grain unless first what? Old grain die and the seed is there and it gives life to new grain. Unless a grain of wheat die, it remains alone. Paul understood that, again, God's purposes were greater than his. And the question that I have to ask myself, and you all need to ask yourselves this morning as well, in light of this, do we fully believe that God's purposes are greater than our purposes? I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard to die to self. I have this little defense attorney that rests on my shoulder. (laughs) And every time the Holy Spirit may say this, that defense attorney jumps up and rears his head and says, No! You don't need to do that. That's going to cause you trouble. You see, I think Paul had in mind as well that the result of his suffering and inevitable death was going to be that God would use it not only for God's glory, but also for others as well. Paul would later write, or previously had written in 1 Corinthians, that when we face Trials, when we have suffering situations, 
that as we walk through that with God, God will use that so that we then might be a comfort to others as they go through those same kind of situations. I hope I'm okay with sharing this. I wanted to get permission beforehand, but I wasn't able to. You know what, God forbid, but if my wife ever passes, you know the first person I'm going to go to? Tom Sarah. As we watched him and the body go through that with Susan and how God by the Holy Spirit enabled him to walk through that and face that. You see, that's the first person I'm going to. I think of other people in our body, many and many to mention, but I think of Miss Trudy right now. She's there in hospice and final stages of cancer. There is not a person in that wing that has not heard about Jesus from Miss Trudy as a result of the circumstances she's in. Hey, Barbara was just saying this morning as she talked to her, she said, Barbara, I'm not afraid to die because I know where I'm going. You see, it's God's purposes for His glory. I can remember in my life when Sandy and I had one of the most devastating episodes that I think I, to that point in life I had ever faced. And I remember that morning just crying out to God because what had taken place was unjust. It was at the hands of other men, godly men, etc. And I'm belly aching to God. Anybody ever been there? How many of you ever bellyache to God? Four words came into my mind and my heart that I know were from the Spirit of God. And those four words were, I did this. Five words, excuse me. I did this to you. What do I conclude from that? that there's absolutely nothing that happens in my life and in your life that God does not allow. And oftentimes, He will purpose it. Why? Because He has a greater work that He needs to do in us, and it's through those periods of times that He's able to do it. Lastly, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, God will always give us strength. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.13, he said, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now, we misapply that passage a lot of times. I will never be a sub 4.0, 40-yard runner. I don't care how much I claim the verse. Okay? But in context, in Philippians, where Paul is under house arrest, and he's dealing with this issue of whether or not he will live, he says, listen, I can even face death because I know that I can face this through God's strength and His help and His ability, knowing that I'm His and He loves me. And therefore, I can do all things through Christ Jesus, who does what? Who gives me strength. And the final point is that Paul was ready to die. He said, for me to live is Christ." Man to die is gain. I read a quote a couple of weeks ago. It said, I'm ready to give what I cannot keep in order to gain what I cannot lose. 
I'm ready to give what I cannot keep in order to gain what I cannot lose. And one thing I've learned in life about suffering and trials, etc., is that there are some things through those situations in life that we gain from God that we could never gain any other way. And when we go through those, when we walk with Him in it, when we rely on Him in it, and yes, sometimes we cry out, sometimes we say, God, why? Sometimes we say, God, please, no! When we get at the other side of that, God does something in us that no other person could ever do in us, and no one can ever take it away. And those things that, we, that no one can ever take away are the things that the Spirit of God does in our hearts by the Word of God that we know, that we know, that we know. I've kind of concluded that suffering and trials in some ways are like chemotherapy and radiation. We know that <laughs> they have the potential to kill us. But when they work, they work well. Amen? I don't know what you're facing this morning. Polyphery of different things. Just last week as I was praying through for the body here, different names came to my mind, and boy, number and number and number of different situations. But I do know this. I do know that God is who He says He is. And I know that regardless of what you're facing, it's not by accident. God has allowed it. The question is, do we trust Him in that? I've asked Jim and Sarah to lead us in a closing song, a reprise of Psalm 23. And here's what I think would be appropriate this morning for our invitation time. While you may be here this morning and you never trusted Christ, certainly there's an opportunity for you to trust Him this morning. Come see one of us here. We'd love to lead you to the Lord. If you're looking to be a member and you know this is where the Lord has led you, you can come and we'd be glad to receive you for membership. But here's what I'd like you to reflect on your life today, where you are today. And to be able to take whatever situation it is that you may have come through those front doors with and lay it at the altar before Him. And say, God, I don't know what the outcome is going to be. But God, I want to trust Your sovereign hand. God, I ask You to strengthen me, enable me. God, give me Your grace so that I might bear under this. And God, use it for Your glory. And so our time of invitation is going to be a time of reflection and a time of prayer. And so I'd encourage you, in that old-fashioned way, and to come to the altar, lay it down at His feet, be assured of His faithfulness and His goodness and His grace. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.